0: Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. The devil wants our vision, but God wants our limp. Listen as Doug shares about the importance of the days we are living in as we are entering the first of Tishri of the year 5784. God is raising up a multi-generational leadership team that is preparing as a prophetic generation to prepare for an outpouring of the dunamis of God and ultimately for the coming of the Lord. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Some of you know that the year 5784 in the Hebrew calendar started this past Friday night at sundown, which is the first of Tishri, and also their Rosh Hashanah, which is their new year. Now we see Tishri's mentioned in in Genesis, in multiple scriptures, Nehemiah chapter 8, as well as in Haggai, and all in the month of Tishri. But it's very significant because it's the first day of their civil year and also their first day of their seventh ecclesiastical year. When the Lord speaks, in, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, Nehemiah has Ezra stand before all the people, all the people gathered around on the first day of the seventh month, the ecclesiastical month, but the first day of Tishri being the civil year, the new year, also in the Hebrew calendar. This past Friday was 5784 Tishri and Rosh Hashanah, and they celebrate Rosh Hashanah for two days until sundown tonight. So all over the world, there are millions of people joining in, Jews and Gentiles, Christians, looking at this time of celebration. It's also the beginning of this past sundown Friday night, going into Saturday, the 10 days of awe, which is in preparation for Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish tradition in Hebrew calendar. And so I believe it's a great example to us of preparation for the holiest of holies, for God himself, the holy God, to show up. And it's these next days of the trumpet being sounded, the next few days of being in awe of God. You know, in Hebrews it says, never lose the awe of worship. God's raising up a multi-generational leadership team that is preparing as a prophetic generation to prepare the way for outpouring suddenly the the dunamis of God in preparation ultimately for the coming of the Lord. There's no coincidences with God. God has put things together. If you look at Scripture, there's over 80 plus times, I think over 88 times that the word suddenly is used in Scripture. Acts chapter 2 is a suddenly moment. But what is suddenly to us is not suddenly to God. If you look in retrospect, He had already put all the pieces together. So that when His Holy Spirit shows up in a suddenly to us, but not to Him, God had already put relationships and connections and pieces together. Many of us probably think, what am I doing in Houston? How did I end up here? And yet God in His providence has put us all together at a moment for a time such as this, because who would have known, even decades ago, we were declaring, give us Houston, give us the nations. Who would have known back then that we'd be the most diverse city in America And be such an international city that if God does a dunamis outpouring on his corporate body, it literally already touches the nations. So we are here not by chance, but by providence. And even as a congregation crossing racial, denominational, generational lines, coming together as a prophetic generation. In Nehemiah chapter 8, 1 and 2, Nehemiah gathered Ezra and Ezra spoke the word of God he brought out the law. He began to declare the law. He didn't pontificate. He, did, he just began to declare God's word. And the people gathered in a public gathering as he stood before them reading the word. And they began to recognize how far they become untethered. And for us, it's to realize how far we've left our first love. So when God's about to part his spirit, he's getting us ready. At the end of 2022, I felt like the Lord kept waking me up in this reoccurring thought and process and dreams. was very prophetic, even as God was speaking some things. And I kept hearing three words, and I began to develop it, wrote about it, preached about it. But I look back now how significant those moments are. They didn't seem understandable at the moment, but we have to declare what God says. And then we look back in retrospect, and we see all that God is doing. We can't be afraid to speak the Word of the Lord in season, Right? And so in December of 2022, I kept hearing over and over these three primary words, exposure, implosions, explosions, was coming. Processing that the exposure was the spotlight of God first in His people to expose things even in darkness, but also to spotlight the things that we're doing right. Judgment starts first in the house of the Lord. God was getting us ready for what we were about to enter into so we can be a part of what He's about to do. The second thing was, and not just in the church, but then the world, we'd begin to get exposed in every realm of the culture. We'd see an exposure, and then secondly, that would be implosions and implosions of the things we put our trust in. We've all put our trust in politics or in institutions or in all the things we thought we can trust is letting us down. Because the only thing that will last is the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world shall be shaken. Right. And so there will be an implosion of so many things we put our trust in so that our only hope is in the Lord. So that when the explosions happen, and the word explosions to me meant the dunamis of God. God was about to, in the midst of all the shakings and all the exposures and all the implosions, we put our eyes back on the Lord, and He would pour out His Spirit in a dunamis moment, a corporate outpouring of His Spirit and we see the fire of God begin to move across our city and across the nations of the world and upon a generation that many have given up on. But God was going to take the blessings and the wisdom of the elders impart it to the next generation, empower them, encourage them, equip them, and that the, the new generation would realize we need the former generation because we need the blessings to move into our destiny. So it wasn't a disconnect, it was a multi-generational connect. It's the dunamis of God's being about to pour it out. When Ezra began to speak on the first day of Tishri, they began to weep because they realized how far away they had gotten from their first love, from the word of the Lord. So when we begin to pray the word, speak the word, declare the word, people's lives begin to get impacted. It's not all the pontificating, it's not all of our stump speeches. It's about just be willing to let the word live in us. Because the living word that dwells in us as we declare his written word that has life because the Holy Spirit gives direction and light to the living word, Jesus. As we're able to share the word, people's lives begin to get impacted. And as a result, it says that the people began to get restored to their covenant relationship with God. It was on the 21st day of the month of Tishri that we read in Haggai. And similar to what God said to Joshua... He was saying to Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and to all the people of the land. In other words, speak into the authorities of the governmental authorities. Speak into it. Speak into the priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. Speak into the priesthood. Speak into all the people. And say that when I shake heaven and earth, sea and dry land, he says exactly what he said to Joshua. He said, be strong and keep working, for I am with you. Remember my promises, do not be afraid, do not fear, for my spirit remains in you. And what he's saying to us is, look, you're about to see some things come down in your personal life. Maybe you're going through some difficulties, maybe you're going through some storms, maybe you've been through some situations, maybe you got a bad report from the medical professionals. Whatever the situation, remember this, that in the Lord, declare his word over you because his word is true. When Solomon dedicated the temple and he took the best of the cedars of Lebanon, he took the best of the gold and silver of the land, he took the best of everything, even the leaders of other nations were blown away by this incredible global wonder. You know, we call it the seven wonders of the world. This was one of the great wonders, if not the greatest wonder of the world at the time. He built this incredible monument for God. But even in that, he recognized, in being the wisest man at the time, he was wise enough to recognize, I might have built this incredible thing by the hands of men, this beautiful, uh, financial, beautiful Oedipus. We built this incredible temple as under the Lord. But who do I think I am, he says, before he dedicated and had a uh, sacrifice on the altar, before they dedicated the temple, he says, Who do I think I am? To think that the heavens of the heavens can't even contain God. So why do I think he's going to be contained in this thing I've built? But even though, because he humbled himself in the temple, God took the fire of God, consumed the sacrifice on the altar, and it says the glory of God filled the temple. How much more valuable are you and me? Because we've not been built by the hands of men. We were beautifully and wonderfully made by God himself. And even in what we think is imperfections, God is doing a perfecting work in every one of us. You know, the ones that God wants to use the most, the devil tries to distract the most. So maybe we have a past, but we can't change our past. But the decisions we make every day have now determined our future. We can't live according to where we were. Let's live who we are today in Christ and in Christ who's doing a work of perfection and who's the very one that gave his very blood for us to purchase these temples of the Holy Spirit, not built by the hands of men, but we are the living, breathing temples of the Holy Spirit. And when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, as living worshipers on the altar of God, if God's fire consumed the sacrifice and the altar in the temple, and we're more valuable than Solomon's temple, how much more does God want to, when we give of our time, our talent, our resources, our lives, and unto the Lord, how much more does God want to consume us and His glory fill our temple? And so when we come together, God is doing a corporate anointing at a time such as this. I believe that dunamis, suddenly of God, As we come into agreement together to be part of something bigger than ourselves and greater than ourselves, God wants to do a work. So it was in that context, on the 21st of Tishri, the 1st of Tishri, Ezra declares the word, the people recognize we need to get restored, get that place of first love again, that hunger for God's word, God's presence. The 21st of Tishri, he's speaking to the governmental authorities, to the priesthood, to all the people, and he says, remember, do not be afraid. Be of courage, be strong, and keep working. And remember, because I'm with you. Remember my promises. Don't be afraid. My spirit remains with you. If we know that, then no matter what goes on, if we watch the news, the the global challenges, political unrest, we see all those things. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We're cognizant of it. Yes, we're aware of it. We're not ignorant of it. But we realize our hope is not in those arenas. Our hope is in the Lord. The hope of glory, Christ in us. So as we recognize that, he says, so that when I shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and dry land, you have that to hold on to. The end is not what you see because circumstances doesn't change God. God changes circumstances. He has been faithful to me. You know, I'll be 50 for the 17th time in October. And I realize the frailty of my humanity. I've been trying to stay young a long time and I know that time is catching up. I was T.D. Jakes and I were ministering at a conference in Dallas about three or four years ago and I said something. That I want to share right now because I think it's pertinent for us when we're going through these things. He says, he looks in the mirror and he goes, TD, you can't do what you used to do. You're not the man you used to be, but that doesn't mean you can't be today's man and tomorrow's man for God. And I realize I may not be able to do what I used to do and be who I used to be. I have landmarks along the way of God's faithfulness, but I can't make an altar to it because I want to be God's man today. I may not be as strong as I used to be, be able to do what I used to do, travel like I used to do, but I can do this. I can be today's man by the grace of God. I think it's important for all of us, regardless of what we're going through, to realize first and foremost, God's purpose is good and a future of hope and not of evil for us. That the enemy is trying to devour and to rob us of our strength, to rob us of our vision. He's trying to take away from us what God intends for us. So in the month of Tishri, on the 1st of Tishri, the word has been declared, then on the 21st of Tishri, God says to Haggai, speak to governments, speak to my priesthood, speak to all the people, that when all these circumstances may come, individually or corporately, don't forget, don't be afraid, be strong, keep working, for I am with you, my spirit remains with you, do not be afraid, but when I shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land, you'll know that the only unshakable peace in Hebrews 12 is the unshakable kingdom of God. Now there's something about the power of praise and the power of worship, amen? Worship and the voice of praise is a tool for battle. God brings life in the midst of difficult situations. And I'd rather be in the will of God doing something that seems uncomfortable than to sit back on the sea of comfort and apathy, soaking on the beach of comfort shipwrecked in the sea of despair. In the midst of what we're going through today, be it individual or corporate, God wants to bring us to that place of renewed revelation of the living Word in us, declaring the Word over our lives. But there's something about worship and praise and the voice of praise in battle. So worship attracts God's presence. For example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, as I was writing this down a couple of days ago, thinking about this, that all the times in my life when I was going through difficulties, I praised him through it. Praise is a power. There's a spiritual battle going on for your life because God has a purpose for your life that is greater than the devil has tried to stop. And those of us who've been, had hiccups along the way... Those of us who maybe got addicted to drugs or other kinds of things, God didn't leave us there because God's purpose for us was greater than what we were going through. And the ones that the devil wants to destroy or distract the most are the ones that God really wants to use the most. So if we fix our eyes on his purpose and who God is in us, we can overcome anything. So just like with text messages, you don't see them when you text. When you send a picture, do you see pictures going through the sky right now? Do you see text messages? Do you see emails going through the sky? No, but you know that it's real. There's a spiritual dynamic or dimension that we don't see, but doesn't mean that it's not real. It's there. We are in a battle, a spiritual battle. So when we begin to audibly begin to worship God and praise, and just like when Jehoshaphat was under this immense pressure and going into battle, he sought the Lord, And he says, God, is this you? What do I do? And God tells him, don't be afraid. Because the battle is not yours, it's mine. In fact, he took a posture of humility. It says he bowed his head to the ground. And then he began to worship God. And it says the Levites, in a corporate sense, began to saw what he was doing in humility and humbling himself before God, talking to God. And the Levites began to worship the Lord. And the people joined in worshiping the Lord. And then it says that they began to praise God with a loud, exuberant voice. It's something about the posture of private and corporate humility and worship that turns into exuberant praise that releases a corporate anointing. Who we are in private coming together in a corporate context releases the power of God's presence through humility, worship, and praise. Some of the darkest hours of my life, even in ministry, I remember walking and pacing in my apartment. I'd been down the streets all night ministering to street kids and runaways and prostitutes and gang members, and it was just a rough night. And I remember going to my room. All I had was a mattress on the floor because I had given away all my furniture, gave away my cars. I didn't even have a car. People had to drive me around here. I'm traveling the world, but the Lord had told me to give everything away. And then I had a mattress on the floor. So I walked over to my mattress, turned the lights off, fell to my knees, over the mattress, having a pity party. God, this has been a rough day. I'm trying to serve you, and this is, I have nothing to show for it. You, how many have ever gone through a pity party moment because of circumstances? And all of a sudden, the Lord said, give me a drink. And I remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan, went, who am I to give you a drink? I need a drink right now. And the Lord just said, I want you to praise me. I want you to worship me. Because the one asking you for a drink is the one that gives you life. And of course, I knew all the religious stuff. I know, I know, you know. So I got up in simple obedience because obedience is the highest form of worship. The first time the word worship is ever used in Scripture is not in the context of singing or instruments. It's in the context of obedience to God. We are the living worshipers who get the privilege of worshiping in song and in dance, and in music, and exuberance, and instruments, but it starts with a simple obedience by the worshiper themselves that attracts God's presence and releases His favor, anointing, and blessing. So I stood up in the dark in my, probably about two or three in the morning, I'm walk, pacing my room by the mattress, didn't feel like it, but just doing because God said, give me a drink, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Shamama. I, thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. I mean, I was just, it was all motion. There was nothing with it. But just out of simple obedience, as I began just to do it in obedience because the joy of the Lord is my strength, all of a sudden what turned into just sheer obedience turned into this overwhelming sense of God's presence. And as I began to worship God, and began to praise God. Hours went by because I knew it was hours because now the sunlight is coming into my room. And I'm realizing it seemed like a moment. But as I just began to get lost, I was crying and I was calling on God. And pretty soon it was like, why am I complaining? It's like King David, you know, and and through the Psalms, it's a lot of times he he begins to ask questions. He begins to question God and why this? And all of a sudden he answers his own question before God even answers him. It's like he already knows the answer. And so the Prince of God came, and I realized that praise and worship is a breakthrough. Many times on the streets, when we were having rough times back then, I would just get a few people to get a guitar, get out on the streets when nobody would listen, and just start a little small group and just start worshiping God right in the midst of the darkness. Or at Mardi Gras outreaches, people would gather around us on the beaches of Galveston, the beaches of other cities. We would start just going on the beach, and we'd do dramas, and then we'd do, then we'd do worship. And people would gather by the droves together to see what we were doing. And in the midst of that, God began to minister to people. There's something about the corporate presence of God through humility, worship, and praise. Authentic desire to restore the altar of worship and a desire to express that place of relationship in praise. Praise from your words. Praise from the things that you do and say in in word, gesture, and thought to honor God, to declare the word of the Lord. And because of that, we have this promise to hold on to that no matter what goes on, God is going to do a breakthrough in our lives. Amen? So he bows his head. They begin to worship, and then it breaks out into praise. There's something about worship and the voice of praise that God wants to bring in battle. God wants our limp. The devil wants your vision and wants your strength. You see, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, if the devil can take our strength, he can take our joy. The devil wants your vision and wants your strength. God wants our limp. The limp of God is greater than walking in our own strength. Let me go back to 1 Samuel chapter 11. It says, Nahash the Ammonite had come against Jabesh Gilead, It was so bad, there was a famine. They were literally surrounded. The men of Jabesh-Gilead could not get out. And Nahash, which means the serpent, the cunning one, the devil, was surrounding them. They couldn't get out. It says that they even were so desperate, they began to eat bird dung and donkey brains. It was so desperate that then they began to say, we can't survive. We need to make a compromise with Nahash. So they went to Nahash and said, Nahash, would you sign a treaty with this? We can't do this anymore. We need a compromise. And here's what Nahash said, the cunning one, the serpent. I will make a treaty with you. I'll make a compromise with you under one condition. Give me the right eye of every man. Scripture is, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why just the right eye of every man? Back in those days... Men learned how to fight with a shield in their left hand and their weapon in their right hand. And how they would see their enemy as they marched in ranks was with their right eye around the shield. Nahash knew that if I could get the right eye, because boys, from the time they were young, learned to fight with a shield on the left, a weapon in the right, and using their right eye to peer around the shield. So they instinctively knew how to be valiant warriors and fighters with their right eye being their vision. Nahash knew if we give me the right eye of every man, they will not be instinctively able to fight like they used to fight. Give me their strength. Give me their vision and take away their strength. The devil wants to take our vision from us because he wants to take our strength. And so they're willing to compromise, and the compromise was to give me the right eye of every man. How many of us, when we go through discouragements, are willing to compromise our biblical convictions. The enemy tries to put pressure, and pressure magnifies. The devil tries to cause us to be under such pressure that we begin to forget the promises of God. That's why God had to speak to Joshua. God had to speak to Zerubbabel. God had to speak through Nehemiah and Ezra to the people. Don't forget. Don't be afraid. Be of courage. Know that I'm with you, says the Lord. And if I'm with you, no matter what you see in front of you, you can get past this. When the 12 spies of Israel went to the promised land, we know they weren't atheists because all 12 came back and said, the land is exactly as God says it is. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of those spies said, but... how many?" there's always the but some doubters. But... The giants are so big, they're so huge, the circumstance is so big that we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. But if we see our circumstance is bigger than God, then we'll act that way. But if we see God is bigger than the circumstance, we'll act appropriately that way. It doesn't matter what the circumstance looks like, God is still bigger than the circumstance. God is God and we are not. He, it says in Colossians chapter 1, that all things are made to, through, for, and by him. Every kingdom, principality, and rulership is subject to him. That means in the seen and unseen realm. And if we recognize who he really is, then we can walk as the champions for Christ, the ambassadors of Christ that he's called us to be. Now, here's some practical things I do in my own life because as Nahash is trying to take our vision and our strength, God reminds us of the story of Jacob who was running from his past, running from his brother Esau, and he crosses a ford called Jabbok. And I learned this from David Wilkerson. And Jabbok means the place of total surrender to the will of the Father. As Jesus said, not my will, but the Father's will be done. His kingdom, not my kingdom. And so he's crossing the ford of Jabbok before he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And it's that place of all this haunting of his past. He has to totally surrender inhuman impossibility of what he can do and all of his doubts and questions and vain imaginations and all these things he's wrestling internally in his own life his internal conflicts he comes to the fort of Jabbok that place of letting go and surrendering so he can wrestle with the angel of the Lord and prevail he came in his own strength but he left with a limp better to walk in the limp of God than come in our own strength, wisdom and knowledge if we come before the Lord and surrender then the Lord can put us in our destiny and give us a new name. We might walk with a limp in the natural, but the reality is we're stronger with a limp of God than it would be to walk in our own strength. I used to be in wrestling and uh, lived in a military base and uh, did that for the United States. And during the 1974 Far East Wrestling Championships, I was considered number one in two different weight classes, a seated number one. The first day of the Far East Wrestling Championships my sensei, Norikiguchi, was in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. He was the inventor of Shuto, precursor to MMA. He was my coach and taught me a lot of things back then and how to get an advantage. I remember the first day of the East Wrestling Championships, I busted my left elbow. It was in pain and swollen. That night, my sensei, Norikiguchi, wrapped it up, put ice on it. The next day, and he was Mr. Miyagi before there ever was a Mr. Miyagi. He said, doug son, you sure you want to continue? I said, Sensei, I've come too far to quit. You see, my desire to win had become greater than my moment of challenge. So he took the bandage off of my bad arm, my left arm, put it on my good arm, my right arm. I said, Sensei, what are you doing? In that Mr. Miyagi moment, doug son, everybody know you were injured yesterday, but they will not remember which arm. And so they were in for a rude awakening. My hair was out in the middle of my back back then. I used to put it in a ponytail. I dare anybody to touch my hair. I wasn't even a Christian, but I I was like Samson. And they were in for a rude awakening. When they came to that arm with the bandage, they thought they were going for the hurt arm. They were in for a very rude awakening. I still took first Japan, and I lost the Far East Wrestling gold medal by one decision point with a broken left elbow, busted left elbow. That has become a life lesson for me all my life. That regardless of what circumstances may look like, regardless of the pain, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the challenges, that God is still bigger than the circumstance. If it's cancer, financial challenges, marital issues, the things we see on the news every day can be very overwhelming. But God is bigger than all of that. He's bigger than the giants. And if God has given you a promise, then it doesn't matter what the journey looks like, it doesn't matter what the giants look like, He's still the God that keeps a promise and he's still the God that's bigger than the circumstance. Amen? Another thing I learned from my coach, my sensei, I could be literally wrestling. I felt like my back was against the wall. My, I was on the mat, and, and you learn to wrestle. In fact, our friend Elias Flores, the son, is the head coach of Vanguard University now, and, and I had them on one of my Zoom calls and, and one of my podcasts. Elias used to teach his son, who's the head coach of Vanguard University wrestling now, Not to win in wrestling by how aggressive you could be, that's important, but how to be on your back. In other words, if you can learn when you think you're about to be pinned how to get out of being pinned, that's how you learn to be the greatest, to be a champion. It's not always being the aggressive one. It's learning how to get out of difficult situations and knowing that there's something in you intrinsically that's there that we didn't have on our own. I remember being all flat on my back, about to get pinned on my neck, trying to stay from being pinned. And I'd hear my Japanese coach say, Gambate yo! Gambate yo! It means, you got this. Go for it. And something would well up inside me. I mean, it was impossible. I'm about to be pinned. And yet I hear those words and all the training, all the things he taught me, all that, that motivation, all of a sudden something would stir up inside of me, and I get out of it, and I end up pinning the other person. A lot of times we think that we're when we're up against the wall, it's about to we're about to give up. The discouragement comes. It's in that moment we need to hear God saying, You got this. Why? Don't be afraid. Keep working, for my spirit's with you. Be of courage. Keep working, for my spirit remains in you. It's in the most difficult of times you find out what's truly what character, what you really have is when we go through difficulties and pressures. That's where God shows up in ways we never would have thought. God wants to pour out his dunamis presence in a suddenly moment. The world will never know what it means to be united because there'll continue to be racial division, political division. People will be divided because that's the way the world is. But in the house of the Lord, Micah 4 is a beautiful picture. In the latter days, all people gather at the mountain of the Lord, the house of the Lord. Put aside their weapons of warfare against each other. Turn them into harvesting tools together. It gives us a greater purpose than what we think that we have. And from that, we'll become... The outcast, the lame, and the sick shall become a strong nation. Let this place continue to be a place to gather all people, a place where we come as an eclectic group that the world would have given up on. People have said you'll never amount to nothing. Those are the ones that God wants to use the most. And the more you gather together and you put aside those differences out the door and come together as one, as one body, putting aside weapons of warfare against each other into harvesting tools together. God is about to pour out His Spirit because that's what attracts His presence. Authentic worship, the place of adoration and exuberant praise and the place of humble posture that says, I don't have to have my way. I want to come the way of the cross so I can handle the power of the upper room. Many of us want the power of the upper room, but we're unwilling to take it through the crucibles of the cross. It's the cross first, then the Holy Spirit outpouring. I believe God wants to do something fresh in all of us today. I'm just going to close because as we've talked about Tishri, and I believe we're in a very significant moment historically, and if God's a God of pattern and principles, and we see over and over from Genesis throughout Scripture, Tishri to the 21st of Tishri, we see this time, the Holy Days, that God has done something historically throughout history. What happens we truly kept our focus on the Lord and declared His Word and praised Him if He were to show up again like an Acts 2 outpouring, like a dunamis moment. What would happen to our city? What would happen to us? What would happen to the nations? We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to eight zero five four two two. 7348 Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and friends.